Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Jill Holden, it is so fabulous to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest. Thanks for having me, Jules. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, okay. you sound. I sound so full on and you sound so quiet and calm and everything. So how about we tell everybody what it is that you do now and why you're doing it? Sure. So my business is Clover Lane Consulting. And that really is talent acquisition, recruitment, and coaching. Uh, I've come from the healthcare space, but I've now touched on industries, you know, far and wide. And I think when uh, a client is picking a recruitment partner, I think now it's becoming a bit more uh, important for them to pick someone who they relate to and can trust. And it's more than just recruitment I'm really focusing on that humanistic component um, of, of talent thank goodness. acquisition. Can I just say first, thank goodness, the day I met you, I thought, <laughs> thank God there is somebody who actually is thinking about the human that's trying to find yeah. the job, not the algorithm, because it's just become ridiculous and revolting looking for work. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tricky, you know, it's a tricky place for anyone to be. And, you know, that's across the board. That's that's whether you're in a senior position or mm. you're even stepping into work. Um, I think the part that we've missed in most of this is, and the traditional sense of recruitment can be very um, non-people focused, you know. And so yeah. I really just, I was determined that if I was going to do this, that I had to be a full focus on the individual. And of course, the 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 business, you know, it, finding yeah. them the right fit. It's a bit like relationship management, you know, and if you're not, if you're not happy with what you're, you know, you, I often find that clients or candidates will say to me, oh, and I really want this role. It's something that I've re I'm really keen to be a part of, but when we dig yeah. deep, it's not necessarily what they're looking for. And so that's the human part, you know, right. is this yeah. really where you need to be? And is this really what the client needs, you know? Um, so it's a little bit of a different journey I like to take candidates on. And and just, and we'll go on to, because I know you're doing other things as well, but let's just quickly talk about the elephant in the room, as my partner Dave always calls yeah. it, which is the over 45s and 50s trying to find work. Yeah. Because I know and just anecdotally, so many people that have left senior, senior positions, head of sales, head of marketing at 45 or 50 because they've been made redundant, spent three years looking for a job and have ended up as an account manager. Yeah. So what's going on there, do you think? And, and oh, are you going to help it's... people with grey hair get jobs too? Yeah, look at my grey hair. <laughs> I'm doing all right. But um Yeah, you look gorgeous. But here's the thing, you know, it's again, it's it's so sad, isn't it, that we feel mm. that we are you know, completely discriminated against as soon as we hit 45. And well, it's, yet, the, like, it's the experience that's not being taken up that right. I can't believe. I know. And that's, again, one of the things that I'm really focused on. I'm trying to communicate with the industry that I'm working with, whoever that mm -hmm. may be, about lived experience. And that can be, you know, lived experience personally or professionally. To me, mm. that stands so much more in your favor. Um 
for an organization when they're bringing in new candidates. Uh, there is so much more to be given beyond 45. I mean, we've got, as far as I'm concerned, right. another 30 years worth of work that we can yeah. invest. And not only but, that, but and we're... we're and we're bring- yeah, we're yeah. bringing 25 years worth of, oh, of, you know, career and experience with us. That's priceless. That's a priceless mm. place to be and a, a priceless mm. offering for any organization. But we forget. And I think we're, we're not, we're not really, unfortunately, the focus is, um, you know, the, whether it be that there's concerns that that candidate you know, may have other issues, whether it be health issues or I'm not entirely right. sure why they're actually being roadblocked. Yeah, but there's roadblocks. And so mm-hmm. I'm advocating for these candidates um, and, you know, both sides, oh, whether that be on the redundancy, woman. because I'm coaching yeah. them through redundancy if they and and so in that process of coaching, it is not just about coaching them through the redundancy, but then it's talking about what's next. Yeah. Where are we going next? You know, what it is that you want to do beyond your redundancy. Um, and that can be a real redundancy is a grief. Uh, it's a yeah, grief it, that for, the individual goes through. For a lot of people through. it is, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so, people take it very personally as if it, they've been personally rejected. Absolutely. When I guess I've always thought it was a work. I've never thought of it weirdly as an excuse to get rid of someone. <laughs> Yes, um, and so the yeah. only time I've ever been made redundant, I was like, I've been made redundant. I've oh. got money. I'm going to find another <laughs> job. It's awesome. This is great. No, but see, a lot of I mean, I've I've coached uh, quite a few people this year. I mean, COVID has brought us through a lot of I redundancies, bet. right? And so with those candidates, you know, there was a couple of candidates specifically that I coached that had been in the in the organization for twenty plus years, and oh, now God. they were in their late fifties early 60s, thinking that nothing, there was nothing else there for, for them, you know, yeah, beyond this. Yeah. So that's a real journey. That's a real, that's a painful journey to be put on and be in. Yeah, it is. I shouldn't be so flippant. No, because no, Because it's no. like being thrown out of a family almost if you've spent 20, 25 years with a company. Yes, yes. you've watched mm. people come and go. You've watched changes within the organization. Mm. You've been part of the growth within that organization. And then all of a sudden, it's cut off and you're removed from it. So, you know, what I'm saying to the client who needs the, the individual coached is to definitely invest in coaching when redundancy yeah, hit. Don't just cut it off and let them go. Because I always say we bring people in like family and we let mm-hmm. them go like strangers. And that's, yeah, that's a real horrible. shame. We should be letting, you know, if they have to go for whatever the purpose is within the organization, these things will happen. But yeah, at least let them go with love. Give them something yes, to go respect, with. Self-respect yes, exactly. and ideally a big pat on the back and a big yeah. party to say you've been amazing and we're sorry to see you go. Absolutely. And give them somebody that will help ease that journey, you know, mm, um, and that's a coach. A coach much. will help them. Yeah. So add that coaching, um, redundancy coaching as part of the redundancy package, you know, mm, so it's already locked in. And I think... That at least gives them the opportunity to engage with somebody who can help them heal as they navigate their way through to the next journey. And that's the thing. It is so lonely. You do feel like there's so much shame attached to it, which I just I would love to dispel the shame around around redundancy. But but I know my my ex-partner got made redundant and he literally I don't think he's ever recovered from it. It's a a, really it's a traumatic time. It's a traumatic. And if you're not given that support to get through it. Um, 
well, that just adds to the trauma. So I think as organizations, we need to recognize and say, you know, again, these things will happen. Redundancies will become, it will be more and probably more now that, you know, we're living in a COVID world. But at least do it with love. Give them the, if the redundancy has to be the, uh, if that's the only option and the only way, let us offer it with love. Let them be coached through the process and at least ease yeah. that pain and that grief that the the candidate will, w- without a doubt, they'll go mm. through. Yeah, yeah. Right. So after that heavy topic, yes. let's go into another one. Tell me the other thing that you're doing. <laughs> well, okay. So so Clover Lane is the recruitment and talent acquisition. You know, again, that's uh, that's the across the board now, really in all industries. Take a yeah. chance on me is um is in it's still in its infancy um but it was a a a moment in my journey i'm sure we'll get into as as we progress through this hour but it was i knew i had to have a give back for the clover lane recruitment and talent acquisition space and so knowing and recognizing that there are so many people who really don't ever get an opportunity um, to step into employment for one reason or another. And a lot of that can be through trauma. Uh, and Take a Chance on Me is an initiative, a not-for-profit now organization that I've registered that focuses on those individuals who need to be coached through the employment journey. And they may have gotten here because they've gone through financial abuse. It could be homelessness. Mm-hmm maybe drug abuse or whatever that may be. Um, I originally set it up with family violence in mind and those women who will have experienced family violence, most for the most part, they wouldn't have worked for a very long time. One mm-hmm. of the coercive controlling components of family violence is financial abuse. And yep. so not having a job, which is security, is very common. Okay, so when you're on the flip side of that, how do you get back in when you've lost all self-worth and you don't know who you are and you're now perhaps out of the bad situation, but who is there to guide you to, you know, do the basic things like getting your resume ready or, you know, safety around social media and LinkedIn profiles that we mostly need these days. And then even things like interview preparation and, you know, how we should present when we go for an interview. So there's a whole host of things that we don't, if you've not done that very often, you know, we can't expect them to know. And yet I don't think they should be left out of the employment journey. So Take a Chance on Me is focusing on all of those individuals Um, and it's free coaching. So I am offering, I've created a six-week program that's um, purposeful to these individuals and it talks about all of these topics and so what I say then to the organizations that I hire through Clover Lane is if they take somebody from Take a Chance on Me as a candidate for a traineeship they don't pay me for the recruitment of that individual Uh perhaps they could donate or sponsor take a chance on me so then i've got funds for other coaches that i'll need yeah you know as it grows and grows so so that's been accepted uh that's been you know pleasantly accepted and, and well it was just, kind of a well let's talk about both of them actually yeah. in terms of because i happen to know well okay 
let me finish my sentence first. This is mm-hmm. where I <laughs> So I was going to say, let's talk about them both in terms of the light bulb moment and why you set it up. Now, I met you after you'd set up Clover Lane, mm. but before you'd set up Take a Chance on Me. And I know that that was one of the amazing gifts that came out of COVID as well. I mean, as much as it was so awful, and on the other hand, it gave us that time to think about things. So I'll shut up. Tell us a little bit about why you set up Clover Lane and whether there was a moment where you went, I'm actually going to go out and set up my own company. Yeah. Um, and then the same for Take a Chance on Me. Yeah. So the the strange thing about this is I had originally about six years ago decided that I really wanted to set up my own talent acquisition space. Mm-hmm. I knew this was going to become something that I needed to do. And back then, I almost got there, you know, I'd actually registered a business called GD Recruit Right. And, um, and then my life took a turn, you know, other things happened, life took a turn, and I ended up having to park that idea. And I got back to work and, you know, stayed in the space of um, recruitment and coaching and, you know, working working for a big company. Yes, for a different organization. And as I was there, you know, I met amazing people. It was a really, it was a great experience. Um, but I knew then eventually that this would come about. I just didn't know when. I had no idea right. when it was going to happen. And then, of course, we had COVID. <laughs> and when COVID yep. hit, I, you know, I was, um, like, I was stood down, as many yep. were. But yep. I didn't, I had a moment where I thought, oh, you know, it, it, just like any of the redundancy um clients that I would work with you have a shock moment of oh my goodness what next and but then I just realized no this is it this is the time in the midst of a COVID, right. a global pandemic it was time for me to set up my own business and um and so the day I was stood down on St. Patrick's Day 17th of March oh my god isn't that icon- yeah. ironic yeah absolutely yeah. and on the 18th Although St. of Patty March was obviously I, watching out for you yeah I it, it was everything was symbolic for me Um, And the timing beforehand, just nothing worked. It wasn't meant to be. But this time I was stood down on the 17th and I registered my business on the 18th. Now, I didn't I didn't really go live until mid June or could have been early July. But from that moment, I knew it was time to get everything ready and to push forward with everything that I'd learned over the years. Yeah. And then, of course, the passion for recognizing with that, and I guess this is where the experience comes in, but I recognized where things were still stuck in tradition and we weren't moving to a modern way of people management. And this is where the Mm -hmm. humanistic component for me was, okay, now I know how to really put this together and and create and differentiate, I guess, in the recruitment space. And so that's what that's where Clover Lane started. I knew then with Take a Chance on Me, um, family violence has always been something that I've been very passionate about. Um, And interestingly now, Jules, that we are having this chat today because it is um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, Oh my God, is it? I didn't realize that. So there's there's a lot of things that will be happening in May that will um, hopefully highlight the importance of our input as a collective we all have to be involved with making this better but it was always something that was important to me um and recognizing how women get very lost in this journey um through family violence it's just a really it's an epidemic that we're dealing with in this country um 
But I also knew that I couldn't actually, when you think about the severity of that one problem, it's very difficult to even become a part of the fix because there's so many so components yeah. to fix. Yeah. So I, every day since I registered um, Clover Lane as, the organize, as an organization, I kept, I was asking myself, what part of this can I give back? What can I do? How can I make a difference? And I woke up one morning at 3 a.m., which is not unusual for me. And I, and I thought, <laughs> okay, I know how I can do this. I can just use my skill, what I know, to create something that will support women who are trying to get back to financial independence beyond their own traumatic family abusive situation and I realized then that that's what we're all supposed to do we're not here to fix the the bigger problem we're here to bring it in and do what you can do bring your skill to the table and imagine if you imagine that we all done that if we all brought what we knew what to do to a problem like family violence that it would eventually merge together and we'd have this whole group of you know strong individuals who are teaching other women to get back to work and find their own purpose, you know? So take a chance on me is fully, it's fully invested on the employment phase and the get, so we're not working at the crisis level. We're working at the other end of the scale where the confused point, you know, now I'm out of crisis. Yeah. That's right. And then what next? What do I do next? You Where know, and then they, need, so, they need to start thinking about jobs. So brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now let's go right back to when Jill was a little girl in Ireland. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me how your life has evolved and how your career yeah. has unfolded from that? But let's start off with, did you grow up in a big family, small family? Yeah. Tell me, and what we, what did your parents do? Talk, talk to me about yeah, all that. Yeah. So um, so I am from a very large family. I've got four brothers and three sisters. Um, Whoa. Yeah. I've got a big family. T- typical Irish family. <laughs> um, I was going to go, your mum and dad are good Catholics. They're, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And um, we were, uh, we're an extremely close family. Okay. So we've grown up in a, you know, I'm from Dublin, but I grew up with in County Clare and Kilkenny. They were the two counties that we would spend our childhood in. And um, my grandma was from County Clare, Nan, Nan Ryan, she was known as. And right. um, and my ma- so I would spend a lot of time with her alone. And having that time with her gave me the feeling like I was an only child, you know. So I had the best yeah, of both right. worlds. I had the moments where I could feel like I was an only child and then go back to my big family when I chose that I needed to do that. And then my dad was from County Kilkenny, um, Greg and Amana, County Kilkenny. So we had a large family there, you know, um, and still, you know, that still feels like home for us. Um, My mom, you know, my dad was an army man. Oh, right. He was in the army. I know about that. Hey. What was that I know joke? about that. My yeah, dad was yeah. too. <laughs> he was in the army. And um, so my mom, you know, bless her heart, she would often be at home alone because he'd often be away, mm-hmm. you know, with the army. So there was months on end where he wouldn't be around. And um, and then when he was around, he was really around. You know, my dad loved to sit and do homework with us and he loved to cook. Oh, right, right. Um, he was a great baker. You know, he loved to bake cakes and um 
you know, he history was his, it was a subject, his topic of choice, you know. So if there was ever any history right. projects, he was just fully invested, you know. Um, but my dad passed away actually when I was 14. Um, and my mom was the same age oh, I am yeah. now. She's 46. Well, right. 45. Um, she was 46. So practically and, uh, a child. Yeah, you know, when you think about that, like when you think about the severity of that, you know, she was a widow with eight children. And um, eight my children. Yeah, my and my youngest brother yeah. was five at the time. My mum, my dad was forty-five when he passed away. So that was the same age as me. It's just So it, how old was the eldest? I mean, were there twenty, a of 20 I think Dwayne, my brother okay. was twenty-one. So we were between, you know, eight of us in between. I was fifth in line, you know. Um, yeah. but it was just a real, uh, it was a traumatic, a traumatic experience and a mm. tragedy for us because, you know, up until that point we were, we, and, and still we are an extremely close knit family. Doesn't yeah. come without our issues, of course, big families always have, but we always find our way back and we just always, we've always maintained that closeness. Um, but you can imagine for my poor mother at, you know, 46 years of age with eight children. And, Unbelievable. you know, I remember her only as an extremely hard worker, you know, somebody who struggled, of course, beyond that and, and stayed in grief. She never married again or she never met anyone else. She, was, she was fully committed to, to my dad, yeah. you know. Um, so it was quite a sad story. But she, from there, she just worked and she went back to school. Um, she wanted to do go back to school to do her maths and English, and she did. And um, um, an and she done community woman. diploma in community services, and she was always very community based. And mm. um, and now she lives in County Wicklow, and with my sister, my they all live the ones that are in Dublin still relatively are close by, close. you know. Yeah. But um, but there's a few of us now that's scattered. I've got a brother in Florida with his family. I had a brother, Will, who was in Iraq for a long time. Um, and he had his own humanitarian um business, still does have his own humanitarian right. business. And it's very logistics and supply chain focused, um, where he will uh educate the locals on how to rebuild sustainably Amazing. beyond um their war-torn so Jill it sounds like they had an extraordinary sense of social justice in your family with you know your brother and all the rest of it was was that sort of often talked about it was it was but you know for us it was just a natural it was never talked about in a way that it was an unusual way of living to us and now I recognize it more social justice was just a way as it should be we should, that's what we, as it should be, we should, we're supposed to be mm-hmm. here to support each other and to bring other people along on the journey. So it was never about just me. I've never lived in that world of it's just all about me. There's always someone else that I have to find and help and oh, offer lovely. support to. And I realize that that's something that we've grown up with. You know, it's part of who we are. It's the makeup yeah, of brilliant. who we are. Okay, so you grew up in mm. Ireland. What were you like at school? Did you like school? Were you good at school? I did. I was, yeah, I, I loved school, but I was an introvert, okay. you know. I was, a, I was an extreme introvert. Which I find really hard shocks to believe, actually. Right. Shocks people now. But, see, I was a, I was a real introvert, so I str- a lot of the times I would struggle because I grew up in 
going to a convent school and it was very it was run by the nuns and it was you know it was very very strict and i would find myself struggling because i that communication component just didn't sit yeah. well with me and we were often you know as it as it happens you know now again people find that really difficult to believe but getting to this point now where i'm communicating yeah every day that wasn't a natural thing. I had Why to learn. You? To I be am that amazed person. because I would say yeah. that you are really bubbly and energetic and and out there. I would never yeah. have thought of you as being quiet and introverted. It's really I love I love this because and I talk about this mm. in coaching sessions too. People think that when I communicate with them that I've always I must have always had this bubbly yeah. communicative personality. And when I tell other people who are struggling with communication that this wasn't something that came natural to me, this is not natural. In fact, even in this, when I'm doing that, when I'm in that communication phase, it's not a natural process. I have to bring myself to that place. Right. Being introverted and having time alone and sitting in my own company is sometimes my favorite place. You see, right. so, yeah. so it's good to know that for others who think that there's no other option or they can't get involved with, you know, more communicative, even workplaces, because there is a way that you can train yourself to be part and present. Yeah, I guess it when, depends when be, you know? what keeps um, you, what keeps you, what you're comfortable with as well. But OK, yeah. so you were this quiet girl at school. Did you finish? Did you go to year 12? Yeah. I did, yeah, yeah. Struggled though, majorly struggled because my dad had passed away in my last oh, gosh, year, yes. or my second last year of high school. So we were we were grief stricken for a long time and shocked. We were just in shock, you know. We had it was just a really difficult time. Did, did he die so very suddenly? I, I feel like that last. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he he. Um, we all got sick, you know. We all got the flu, and my dad's flu just never went away, and. We realized oh, afterwards gosh. that he had mesotheliomia, which is which is the asbestos type oh, cancer. Oh gosh, no. Um, so yeah, so he was diagnosed. Look, I'm gonna say it could have been September, October, but he'd passed away in the January after. So yeah, very fast. It was very, yeah. very quick. Um, yeah. So and being so young, we just you know, we'd never experienced something no, like that before. No, you so it's just it a real shock. At the time. Okay, so that's but you right. did struggle on and finish year 12, which is great. Really impressive. I did. I struggled. I struggled. I really struggled. You know, I really wanted to curl up in a ball and hide behind closed doors. because your that dad was the would have loved, you, loved it that you finished school as well, I think. I, I finished and I had no idea what I was going to do beyond that. I had no idea. It wasn't even a thought. I, did, I okay. had no clue. Um and I went and lived with my aunt in County Kilkenny, which was, you know, stayed with a cousin of mine um, who was a bit like yeah. a sister, you know. And um, no, she was very much like a sister. We grew up together, you know. And so it was lovely with her because that was being with my aunt, which was my dad's sister, kind of kept yes. me feeling like he was still very much part of, he was still around, you know. And and um, and we moved then. Uh, I met my first husband when I was in in Kalkenia, How old were Australia. You? you were 18, eighteen when you met your first husband. Yeah, how, how, you know, you how, think you know how it old all. Were you when you got Jude. married? 
I was okay. 21. So you did wait a little bit of time. <laughs> you know, and it did. And look, it, life wasn't, it was not an easy journey beyond there. I, I, I moved to Australia why? at a very young age. Why, why the big um, move? Oh, he okay. was Australian. He was Australian. So that was the kind of, that was the, that yeah. was what brought me here. And, you know, the initial phase is that, you know, you're happy, you're just living, you're young and, and everything. It's exciting. And, it, you know, beyond that, then, of course, it wasn't so exciting. I didn't know whether I was coming or going. I was young. And now I had um, a daughter. And then I had my second daughter when Gosh. I was 24. And, and then I was a single mom. So the decision was, do I stay in Australia? Do I go home? And I almost went back. I almost went well, back. I'm so glad Something you didn't. kept me here. And I remember, I, st- I yeah, well, I, I remember having a conversation with my dad. Now, obviously, very young. And I remember him saying to me, if he could live his life again, he would have taken his family yeah. to Australia. Do you know? Uh, and that was. Yeah, I think so, so many people stuck we, in my we head. Moved to Australia, you know? and I think my dad had always had that thing. It just seemed so exciting. And it looked like everyone was sort of living yeah. this life like they were on holiday all the time. And when you're stuck in Ireland with yeah. freezing cold winter and, you know, pokey little houses, yes. it just looked so open and fabulous. And so I get it. I get I it. I know. Yeah. So we, so we did. So that was in my head. And I almost went back to Ireland. I had two small children. I was Gosh. on my own. It wasn't easy. Were you working? No, there was, there was I was At a that single stage, mom. were you working? You know, I was working okay. full time. I was managing in um, medical yeah. practice um I, I was always in medical from the pretty much from the time I arrived in Australia I just accidentally found myself managed working as a medical and secretary and then, then moving right. through quite quickly to human resources and you know management and so on the people component of what I do when I look back now I, re- I recognize it was always a strong part of yeah. everything that I done and whether that was in medical or not, I was always attached or would be associated with supporting the management team. So that was an easy progression yeah. from there for me. And um, and I met some amazing people along the way. For some reason or another, they saw what strengths I had. I was lucky that I, you know, met those individuals and that they didn't um, that they didn't see me as a single mom who couldn't invest in. Yeah, in work yeah, exactly. Because I- Work was my savior, which maybe is you know, it, it it brings us back place. a bit to um, take a chance on me because you know that it can be a savior if you're on your own. Yeah, just gives you so much independence oh, and self worth and all that sort of thing. You know, when you're dealing with the hardships of life, for whatever they may be, and on your own yeah. personal journey, when you can get up in the morning and get ready and go to work and invest your time and bring yourself to work where you can then say this is where everything is supportive kind I can feel like I have purpose you know that is a godsend yeah absolutely when you're in a situation where the rest of the world seems to be falling apart having that keeps is a way for you to be kept in check almost and you know that you can keep going once you've got that and then again it's financial security. that's right there's that, there's that as well yeah you know? um yeah, okay yeah. so um so you were working in the so you were young you've got two young kids you're a single mum. you're working mm. in medical practice what happened then uh, or slowly yeah. worked your way up I mean do, did you stay in the same place or did yeah. you move to a few different places no 
No, I always medical, but moved and everything seemed to always be organically moving through the process. You know, I didn't necessarily have to do a whole lot by way of, you know, I see a role, I want to apply for it. It seemed to just take its natural progression. And that would be that uh, when I was a single mom, I decided I would do a diploma in um a business diploma. Oh, good on you. And I and I worked through that and, and then that gave me the opportunity to take on my first office manager role. And then that office manager role moved into a practice manager role. And then I supported a few a couple of doctors as they moved into their new practices. And I was able to kind of be part of that build from this from the get-go. Right. And and so that was a huge experience. Yeah. You know, setting up practice with the doctor, what do they need to make things work? You know, how many people do they need versus patients that they'll see? And how many nurses will you need for practice? All of these things, the behind the scenes components of what a practice looks like before it even begins to run was a real learning experience for me. And then um, I worked uh, with a large organization, hospital, not-for-profit hospital in Melbourne, and that was a brilliant experience again. The people there were just absolutely incredible. And I just felt like they always recognized um, the strength that I brought to the table. And yet they weren't afraid to tell me if they thought I was overstepping. Well, that's what you want, you isn't need, it? You, you, know, you want somebody younger. who, you know, you feel yeah. that they really appreciate what you've done, but they're not too scared to go, oh, my God, what did you just do then? You'd be, that was, you know, or whatever. Exactly. And, and, and celebrate all the big wins as well. So that's great. Well, that's it. And so they, that, that was just, again, that just added to the, you know, to the level of experience, I suppose. And, and, um, but for, it was there, it was when I was in that management role, um, that I knew that I, I felt like I'd got to the peak of what I wanted to do in the management space. And it was with the people that I knew that I had a strength. I had an offering that wasn't really been right. tapped into, right? When it came to talent acquisition, or at least when I was working with talent acquisition support networks, I could see what they weren't bringing in, and, I, and it would frustrate me. I think, oh, this is where there's a missing link, ah, so you now, know? And it's that humanistic. So, can component. I just ask? So, a talent acquisition? What did you just call it? It's a recruitment company, anyway. Right. Support network. So basically, what yeah. you're saying is, when you were trying to bring in staff for the places. That was when you realized that there was this gate. I wouldn't even say it's a gap. I'd say it's a gaping chasm between between what people need and what's being provided. It is. You're right. It is because I feel so. And so to delve into that a little bit, um, when I was dealing with or working with, I had, don't get me wrong. I had some great uh, recruitment support networks and talent acquisition that I would work with regularly because whenever I'd need somebody within the organization, I recognized then that just because you're the manager doesn't mean that you should be the person doing all of the tasks within the organization. Hiring people is a very specific component to how we make a Mm -hmm. business work and function effectively. And so I would always engage with, recruiters just to see what they could bring to me but it was never it was never great you know like I would always get thrown a million resumes um and and told you know we'll see who this who might work within the list of people that I 
but I wanted to see humans. I wanted to, I wanted them to tell me about the individuals that they were bringing in, why they were so good. And there was a huge gap. And then I realized I had to look at the history of recruitment. So I start researching where did recruitment start? Why are we recruiting? Why is that an industry in itself? And I know I was fascinated with this because then I start questioning how did this become an industry, Mm -hmm. right? And and the first person that actually had the the world's first recruitment agency was by a a guy by the name of Henry Robinson. That agency was formed in 1653. So it's like 400 years or whatever, you know. So when you think about that, we are we're natural recruiters. We've been naturally recruiting for hundreds of years. We don't even realize that we're doing this, but because it became an agency focus, it became to me it became very salesy, and we lost touch in why we were putting people and finding people and placing people in specific tasks. Now, if you think about that, we recruit even mm. when we're in our own homes. We, you know, our children will do specific tasks and you might do something and your husband might do something on his own because you'll have different things yeah. that you do yeah. better, right? So we're constantly in a recruitment phase, but we've lost with the, I believe my interpretation of this is we've lost the, the purpose behind why we're doing that and became very sales focused and yep. dollar driven. And we can have flourishing businesses, but still put our energy and our resources into the people and how we place them in the task. I just can't fulfilled. tell you how refreshing it is to hear that, Jill. You know, and I'm not even, yeah. you know, as a business owner, it's very rare that I have anything to do with a recruitment company. But I just have so many friends sure. who've had their hearts broken, you know, who have who have been looking for such a long time, who can't even get the recruiter to pick up the phone and have a chat with them. That I just am so, I just feel like the whole industry has kind of lost its way. So knowing that you're doing this and and presumably there are others like you kind of makes me think, I hope it's coming back that they care about the people. I won't lie. It's it's not easy. It's a competitive world out there. And what I often find is organisations will stick to what they know because they feel like that's a safe bet. So bringing in somebody new, especially when I am in this space where I'm trying to shake it up and say, if you're looking for a traditional recruiter, I'm probably yeah, not yeah. your person because I'm going to focus. I don't, I will focus on your business, but I'm going to be giving my time to the individual who are hiring. I want to guarantee that this is going to work as best I can, but I actually can't guarantee you that. And if people, if recruiters tell you they can guarantee that without actually putting their efforts and time into the individual and mitigating that risk as much as possible, no. they're not telling you the You're truth. You're so lovely. I eyes. was going to say you they're know? liars, um, but you just have that nice schedule. Like, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> trying my best. To get... <laughs> so so it's, a, it's, a, it's a real catch-22 because I'm coming in with this new modern way I, or whatever we want to call it, but it's definitely yeah. moving beyond tradition. And and so that's shaken things up entirely. That's not the way it is. And a lot of organizations will have will have been working with the recruiters for, yeah. let's say, 20 years. So they don't know. They get entrenched within tradition, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but I can tell you that the refreshing component inside of that is 
I have met some of the most amazing recruiters, talent acquisition support networks, and even more so since I've started my own journey. Some of those I've met years ago, and they've stayed with me on my journey. And we've kind of created this beautiful cohort of support networks for each other. And how I can tell a good recruiter is if they won't, or a talent support business even, if they're not feeling like this is the organization I'm working with, it's all mine, stay away. To me, that's a red flag. That's a red flag for a recruiter because I should have the ability to be able to say, a client has approached, they want to work with me. This is my skill set. This is how I know I can work with them. But perhaps I'm not the person to give all of this or to do this entire job. Perhaps I need to bring in somebody else to support me in this, you know, in this uh, campaign for whatever it is they need in the role. Maybe I do need to engage somebody with a specific specialty in recruitment. I should be open to doing whatever I can for the organization. Right. And so... There's, there's a whole lot of ways to see it's red flags. It's a bit like flags, real estate agents, um, isn't it? Especially in the, in the, in the, they really should be. It's a bit like that? real estate agents. They should be getting you the best pro- yeah. price for your property, regardless of where the person comes from. That's right. But they want to hold everything close to their chest. Exactly. All right. So, um, mm-hmm. so has that now brought us back up to date in terms of you starting the business? Is there something else you want to talk about that before I go down some other question roots no i mean i think that brings us up to date you know in a, yeah. in a short version we could talk about this <laughs> well, next year, let's be honest but in in short that's how it all kind of formed that's how i'm here and stayed here you know um and and now you know beyond the six years ago when i decided i was going to do this i really just threw myself into education around what recruitment was and yeah. and here i am Clover Lane and take a chance on me is It's just is brilliant. Happening. And you've said, I'm sure you, we've just come back from the She's the Boss retreat and I'm sure there you told me, was it that you've already helped 15 women, was it? That's huge. Yes, I mean, that's brilliant. Yes. That, that's such a good number yes, already yep. in six, six months for anyone mm. that's listening. You know, amazing. Yeah, I know. And, you know, that is, it's such a, I can't tell you how rewarding that is for me, you know, that giving space every week to women who really just need that guidance and support and focusing that fully on their employment employment journey. Yeah. Some of these women are professionals, they're CEOs, they're general managers, but they don't know how to get from where they are to where they the next step is. And usually it's based on their imposter syndrome or yeah. whatever it may be that and the trauma that they've lived with throughout their lives, a lot of that will be hidden because they're not bringing that to the workplace. And that's the other thing. So now it's a, so when you think about that, you know, you've got these beautiful professional individuals who've worked so hard to get to where they need to be, but they are actually working in space where they feel like they can't openly communicate in case they, in, in case they get, yeah. there's jeopardy, you know, there's, there's workplace um, ramifications because they are open about their experiences. But we should be creating a collaboration around having a space where we can communicate yeah. if need be and still have the ability to progress within our career without it not roadblocking us. So it's a, such a great thing to be able to be part of uh, 
an initiative that supports women or men in fairness because yeah. I'm open to coaching anyone in that space but um to help them through that journey and to know now that this 15 is 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 pretty special one of the questions I like to ask Jill is about any women that might have helped you along the way just because this is a podcast for women um, we're supposed to be inspiring yeah. other women so it's always nice to do a shout out if there have been some women, are there any women that you want to mention? Oh, Jules, I mean, you know, I have been surrounded by incredibly strong women my entire life. And I'm so grateful that I have. And I realize that more oh, now wonderful. than ever before. And I've just spoke about my mom earlier on. I mean, you know, she's quirky. She drives me nuts. Incredible. Right? But she is an absolute powerhouse <laughs> when it comes to strength and resilience and, you know, being able to overcome challenges in life. I really don't think that I could have done what I've done in my life if I hadn't learned those tools from her. My nan was another mother to me. So she's another woman in my life that was just, I feel like she's with Incredible. me every step of the way. She's pushing me in that direction. And she, again, was another powerhouse of a woman. Um, throughout Amazing. my journey, I've collected women. I say that respectfully. <laughs> I've collected women yeah. along the way from friends that I met when my oldest daughter, who's now 24, went to school at four years old. You know, those women, there's two women specifically um, that I, Liz and Sue, who are now some of my very, very best friends, but they stayed the journey with me through my separation. You know, they still, we have dinners once every quarter or so. And we, the fact that they're still part of the journey with me is just incredible. So I collect women who stay with me and I love that they do. Um, Work-wise, <laughs> I've got Marion who I remember in one of the organizations I worked, I never forget that woman because she doesn't even realize that I feel that way about her, but she's, um, she was just always someone who was able to recognize where my skill was. And she, I just, not only was she glamorous and just a beautiful woman, <laughs> she was strong yeah. and she had this ability to see the strengths in others. And I just, and I, that's, that was one of the kickers for me. I knew that I grew a lot within that organization. Where do I go from there? I've got three daughters. They, you know, I'm surrounded by women and I've met you. <laughs> yes. I mean, you better not forget them. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, love you. And look, it, there's a whole host. I could go on again. I've got three sisters. Yeah. You know? Good. That's great. Um, I, it's so lovely to hear yeah. that because, you know, sometimes I speak to women and say, are there any women that helped you? And they go, mm, no, not really. <laughs> it breaks my heart. Wow. So it's so lovely to hear it the other way around. Surrounded. But there's so many of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we haven't got very much time, so I'm just going to have to jump ahead a little bit. How do you juggle work and life? Are you cognizant of the fact that you need to have downtime? Do you separate yeah. work and life or does it all blur a bit into each other? Sometimes blurs, but I am very aware and I know what I need to do to fill my own cup, right? So a lot of that will right. be being really strict within my week. So you know, I'm an early riser. I'll normally rise about 5, 5.30. And, um, and that will always be either yoga first up, 
a, a walk. I can't run at the moment because I've got an ankle injury and it's driving me insane. But I like to run when I can. And um, But there's always right. the first part of my day sets up my day. Um, and I'm a bit of a, I don't know whether it's a little bit odd, but I like, I make my bed before the day starts. I have a specific oh, ritual. I with that as well. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like those things kind of give you a little bit of control about how you move forward, right, within your day. Mm-hmm. I then know, and there's day, Jules, you know, there's days where you could work through till eight o'clock in the evening. Um, but naturally, I want to finish and say, okay, it's dinner time. I'm going to spend time with the family. I'm going to cut off at six o'clock. That's the ideal world. But well I done. think by yeah. setting up my day in the beginning and giving myself early nights to bed. So early nights could be anything from 9 a.m. or 9 p.m., should I say. And that just gives me that uh, control, you know, and that's it. So the rest of it yeah. is a bit ad hoc, right? When you start your own business, you're okay. you're in when you need to be in. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you're obviously looking after your health, which is super important yes. because the number of women that I've interviewed that have had burnout and been literally unable to work for a year, sometimes longer, it, it, it's shocked me really during the course yeah. of it. So it's great that you are doing that. Okay, and the last question for you is ab- about a quirky fact. Ah, <laughs> now I've got a few. But anyway. This doesn't have to be anything important. It's just a fun fact about you that you'd be up for sharing yeah i mean i've got loads but the one normal one let's let's stay with the norms yeah. <laughs> i think i want the abnormal ones well, this, on. well it's probably not quirky but you know i'm an introvert as i said before i'm an introvert at heart so a yeah. lot of that a lot of what i like to do is very introverted by nature um but i i'm a real i, yeah. I love the idea this there's a couple of things molded into this uh, response but I love to write poetry. Um, I, I can really go deep, oh, deep, deep yes. with, um, with putting poetry. And I can do that very quickly. I'll often wake up early in the morning and feel like I could write down a poem of something that happened a week ago and create a poem out of it really quickly. You know? So it's, um, it, that's, yeah, that's right. a quirky okay. thing. Um, so I've got loads of poetry everywhere. Um, you know, that I need to probably put together and perhaps put in a little book sometime. Um, but the other thing I do is I have a real connection to earth, like to the earth. So whenever I feel like I'm stressed right. out or I can't, I'm having a bad, I'll often, I, I like the idea of earthing, you know, and where um, I take my shoes off and I just stand in the grass. or earthing mean? Well, it's just uh, where you're reconnecting to the universe, right? So I feel, yeah. I think it's so relevant that we are connected to this, the elements, that we're connected to the elements. So I couldn't agree with you more. And I remember seeing a psychologist many years ago who said to me, the best thing you can do is get your hands dirty, get in, get in and so plant true. some flowers or do something touching the, the earth yeah. and you'll find that, that that you feel much better straight away. Well, there's one thing I have to share this with you because um, in one of my times specifically going through separation and mm-hmm. in my own journey of trying to find out what was next uh, on a career level, I remember being really hit with this depression to a degree and not knowing how right. I was going to kind of 
get myself to the next phase. And I lived, thankfully, across the road from the beach. It was just such a wonderful place to live. And I was getting up in the morning and walking across the beach in my bare feet. I'd make a coffee and just walk and sit at the sand and sit at the ocean. And I'd find that just by listening to the ocean or with my bare feet in the sand, that I'd always walk away feeling a little bit stronger or with more clarity. And so every day I done that, every day I got stronger. And I thought, this is a thing. We need to be doing this. We need to be promoting this. So that's my other quirky thing. I still do that. The kid, my children will often find me just randomly walking around the garden and they'll know that that's okay. Mom needs to ground. They get it. Now they do it too. And I I just think it's, yeah, it's quirky, but it works. (laughs) No, I love it. My hands in the soil. And the other thing I love is just to be able to look out at the waves. If I can be sitting on yeah. a beach looking at the waves, I calm down. Such a amazingly, medicine. So. It's medicine. Yeah, it is. It really is. Medicine for the soul. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> well, Jill, what can I say? It's like your medicine for my soul as well. And I'm sure mm-hmm. everyone's going to love hearing your story. Can you tell people how they can get hold of you, either through Take a Chance on Me or through Clover Lane? Everything is through Clover Lane. I mean, whether they just visit www.clovalane.com. Um my and all of my details are there I haven't actually we're so in the infancy of take a chance on me that there isn't an actual website so it's just all run through Clover Lane at the moment um I'm on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. um and all my details are there as well great well listen thank you so so much for sharing your story it's been great I actually could have done another couple of hours to be honest but I I guess we have to limit it so (laughs) thank you it's just been an absolute pleasure Oh, thanks, Jill. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here with you as well. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.